So welcome once again to our Sunday worship here at GBC, both in person and those of you guys online. Uh, for those of you who are joining, who's just joining us today, we've been preaching through the book of Exodus, and we uh, we are currently almost at the end of chapter 4, going into uh, chapter 5. That's when we last uh, had uh, a sermon or a message in Exodus. So if you missed any of these previous messages, I encourage you to please watch the resources that we have available on YouTube and on our website and our podcast. Now this morning, uh, we're going to once again pick up where we left off, okay? Uh, we left off at the end of, almost at the end of chapter 4 last week, um, and we took up uh, one of the more controversial and seemingly complicated verses uh, in chapter 4, namely verses 24 to 26. You guys remember that? Taking that up last week uh, when uh, God sought to kill uh, Moses, right? So uh, although initially difficult to understand and to grasp, uh, this, these verses carries with it a simple truth about who God is. And that was the title of the message uh, the past two weeks. Uh, the extreme God. That, that's, that, that's, I think, what the message is of 24 and 26. The truth that God is extreme. And what do I mean by that? God is extreme when it comes to his holiness and justice. On the other hand, God is also extreme when it comes to his love and his faithfulness. Uh, so yes, God's punishment for sin, no matter how small or insignificant we think it is, is always death. You ever notice that? Uh, the governments don't do that. Governments, they, they even got rid of the death penalty, right? If you, if you, uh, if you uh, go through a stop sign and you disobey the law, what is the punishment? The ticket. They don't kill you, right, on sight. <laughs> With God, anything that you do wrong, according to his standards, is punishable by death. That's how extreme God is. No matter how small or insignificant we think that the sin is, to God, it is always punishable by death. Uh, and this is to show us that God is truly holy, that God is truly pure, and that God truly loves justice. That's why anything that we do wrong, no matter how small, is punishable by death. That's how holy, pure God is. At the same time, God's plan of salvation is also extreme because when He, give, when he saves you, he saves you forever. What, do we, what, what does God give us in salvation? Eternal life, right? Eternal life. And the, the way that he does it is also extreme because all you have to do is believe. Where, where can you find a deal like that? You don't have to do anything. Just believe. And call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So in both ways, God is extremes. In both of these extremes, I said last week, God's justice and love and mercy and grace, they met at one crucial point in history where God's justice was delivered and God's love was displayed. Where was this? During the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where all the sins of the world were put on this one man so that with his blood, the penalty for the sins of all men would be paid in full. 
right? So God's extremes met at one point in time, and that is during the cross of Christ. Now, um, that's what we took up last week. Now, this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to be talking about something that we are, we are all familiar with and have experienced at least one point in our life. Okay? Uh, we're all familiar with this, so nobody should be like, oh, it doesn't apply to me. If this applies to everybody, okay? What is this thing that I'm talking about? Our topic this morning is about expectations and disappointments. Who here has been ever disappointed? Have you been disappointed? Might be for different things, but we've all been disappointed at least once in our lives. Right? We've been disappointed at least once in our lives. And what I want us to see this morning is the relationship between these two words, expectations and disappointments, and how they work together in our everyday experiences. Uh, now, I say that because I think that the levels that we experience, these two words are parallel opposites of each other. What do I mean by that? I mean that the higher our expectations get, the more painful the disappointments Parallel opposites. They're parallel, but they're opposite. The higher the expectations get, the more painful the disappointment when our expectations are not met. Right? Very simple, right? The more you expect, it doesn't happen, the more you get disappointed. Right? As human beings, we are wired to expect or to look forward to or to wait for things that are good. Amen? You're all waiting for that. Nobody sits here and thinks, man, I wish something bad would happen to me. Nobody. We're all wanting something good to happen. No one expects the worst. But we are taught to always leave room for the worst. You realize that? We don't want to expect the worst, but they always tell us, hey, leave room for the worst. Because it might just happen, right? Why do we do that? Because nobody wants to experience the worst. We all want to experience something good. So why leave, why leave room for the worst? Because of disappointment. You don't want to expect too much so that you won't get as disappointed. So that's why we are taught to not expect too much so that we don't get as disappointed. Uh, when something happens in our lives that is the opposite of what we are hoping for or what we are waiting for to happen, we experience a form of sadness, a feeling of loss, or an uncomfortable space or a painful gap between our expectations and reality. That's disappointment. That gap between expectations and reality, that's what's called disappointment. And uh, psychologists call it a form of sadness. Right? Nobody's happy when they get disappointed. <laughs> They're always sad. Right? Like to give you a, um, just a few illustrations. Like, have you ever been on a blind date? I've never, I've never gone. I hate those things. Uh, <laughs> some of you, you know what I'm talking about, blind date. You go on a date with somebody you don't know, you just read about, right? And then on a blind date, they put pictures of themselves and describe themselves, right? Uh, on the picture, they look 
good. <laughs> They're skinny, nice skin, you know, dress proper. Then you get to the date, <laughs> and the reality all of a sudden hits you in the face. And you're so disappointed. <laughs> Oh man, I thought it looked, I thought it was going on with Janet Jackson, looking like Latoya Jackson. <laughs> You're so disappointed because you put your expectations so high. Or if you go eat at a fancy restaurant, plates are nice, ambiance nice, waiters are courteous. Then food comes, it sucks. <laughs> this is like, have you been to the 365? Uh, 365. The 360 in CN Tower? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went. I, I brought Ati Jen there, my wife. Uh, we were celebrating our anniversary. I was going to propose. And uh, when we get there, wow, everything's nice. This thing is revolving. So you see the whole, you know, Toronto. And I'm like, okay, let's order. Food comes in. It sucks. And she's always looking down at the, bar, at, the, at the city. I'm like, what are you looking at? Uh, you know the Chinese restaurant we used to eat at, the cheap one? <laughs> it's down there somewhere. We should have just went there. <laughs> because the food here sucks. Expectations. High expectations. Worst disappointments. Right? So our text this morning is going to show us uh, just how disappointments build up. How does this work from high expectations all the way to the lowest disappointments? How, what, how, what happens? What happens from you coming up so high to be so disappointed? How does this work? Our text this morning will show us just how disappointments build up from unmet expectations and how quickly it changes our perception of who God is. That's what happens in our story. All right, let's read it again, 427 to 31. 427, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain and God, of God and kissed him. <clears throat> and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words of the Lord. Uh, oh, sorry, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs uh, of the sight of the at the sight of the people. All right, and the people what believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and. Wow. So if you were to track back, when, Moses, when God told Moses, this is what you're going to do. Okay? You're going to do all these signs. And since you can't speak, I'm going to get Aaron to speak with you. And all your worries about, what if they don't believe me? All, this, all these other worries. They're not going to happen. All of these things will take place. And so Moses didn't fully believe that, but he still went. Uh, and then when he went, he did what God asked him to do. Gather all the elders, do the signs, do the words, and they will all believe. And that's exactly what happened. Everybody believed. Right? Everything that God told Moses would happen actually happened. 
Aaron came out and helped Moses speak to the elders and, uh, about, about God's coming salvation. And Aaron spoke the words that Moses could not speak. And Moses did the signs that God asked him to do. And the people believed and worshipped. So imagine the scene here, right? These people have been waiting for salvation for almost, or for more than 400 years. They've been asking God, save us, save us. And remember they were crying out to God, chapter 2, chapter 3, save us, save us. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in with not just words, but with signs that salvation is Coming, imagine the scene. Imagine what these people must have felt, right? Because now, now all of a sudden they have hope, right? Uh, unfortunately, this is the first stage of disappointment. <laughs> first stage of disappointment. Uh, and this is also where the height of expectation is set, when hope is awakened. First stage of disappointment and where height, the height of expectation is set is when hope is awakened. Now, there are two kinds of hope, a worldly hope and a biblical hope. Uh, the difference between these two is that uh, is the object or the source of the hope. Okay? A biblical hope has God as its source. Okay? When we say, I have a biblical hope, that means you're hoping on God to accomplish whatever it is that you're waiting for. I have a biblical hope. A biblical hope has God as its source and since God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and does not know how to fail, and has proven himself from the beginning of time, then a biblical hope is certain. It is sure. When you say that you're hoping in God, you might as well you take that to the bank. That is for sure going to happen. Because God has proven himself over and over and over again. Right? On the other hand, worldly hope has chance as its source. Right? And since there is no assurance with chance, a worldly hope is uncertain and unsure. That means that whatever it is that you are hoping for may or may not happen. Right? So how we hope as human beings, uh, how do we attach ourselves to that hope? As human beings, how we hope is based on our faith on the source of the hope. Okay? Some of us, we believe more on chance rather than God, that's why we buy lottery. No, seriously. The chances of winning are one in a billion. That's better than God. That's why we buy lottery. Right? Or you go to a casino or, you know, that's why. Because you're hoping more on chance. But the truth is that as human beings, that's how we attach ourselves to hope. Through our faith in the source of the hope. If we are fully convinced in the source, then that's where our hope is. Now, as far as the story is concerned, let me ask you this question. What kind of hope do you think the Israelites had after hearing from Aaron and seeing Moses do the signs? What kind of hope do you think they had after seeing all that? And like what I said earlier, if the level of our expectations is somehow connected to our hope, then how do you think the expectations are of the Israelites to be finally free from slavery. How high is their expectation? Now, as you think about that, okay, I don't want you to answer. Just keep it in mind. Okay? We're going to go back to that later on. Now, 
Again, the awakening of hope is the first stage of disappointment. The greater the hope, the higher the expectations, the more painful the disappointment when these expectations are not met. So now, if our hope is based on our faith or our conviction on the source of the hope, then what are the things that can happen to shake up that conviction and put doubt in our hearts and in our minds? Okay. So if we're starting from the top, and the way we attach ourselves to that top is, is faith in the hope or in the source of the hope, what are the things that can happen that can shake up your conviction, okay? That can shake up your conviction and put doubts in your hearts and in your minds. Let's go to the second stage of disappointment. Second stage of disappointment that we're going to see in the story is when a request is abolished. So first stage, a hope is awakened. Second stage, a request is abolished. Where we're going to see that, uh, uh, chapter 5, 1 to 5. Afterwards, uh, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus is the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. They may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, people of the land are now many, and you, may, and you make them rest from their burdens. So what happened? Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, said, can we get three days off? <laughs> that's, that's what happened, right? They just want three days off. And what did I say is the second stage of disappointment when the request is abolished. So what happened during, this, during the story? They asked for three days, what happened? No. <laughs> no three days. Have you ever been, right? Have you ever been, have you ever experienced that? I really need some vacation time. I need to go home. I need to do this. I need to do that. They say, no. No, we need you here. Disappointed, right? High hopes are usually brought down by obstacles. Things that deny, things that stop the momentum of where we hope to get to or where we hope to be at. So at the, at the moment, the momentum of the Israelites were like, let's go. There's miracles, there's words coming from God. So they expected that when they go up to Pharaoh, Pharaoh would say, oh yeah, yeah, three days, no problem. But Pharaoh said, no. Right? They said no. And look, do you notice that Moses and Aaron set the bar low? Okay. They're mission was supposed to tell Pharaoh, let the people go. And that's it. They, they, what, did, what did they ask for? Let the people go for three days. <laughs> Just give us three days. They set the bar really low in order for their expectations to be 
met. Because they know, if they ask Pharaoh to let the people go forever, he's not going to say yes. So they just asked for three days. They didn't go all out and say what God asked them to say. They kind of softened their stance and asked Pharaoh for just a three-day religious leave for the Israelites to worship their God. Instead of asking for outright freedom, they asked for three days. Now, granted, in those days, it was pretty common practice. People actually did ask for religious vacations, right? According to Riken, there are some ancient manuscripts that date back to the time of Ramses II that indicate Egyptian slaves were sometimes given time off to worship their gods. So it was possible that they were going to get this, right? Because it was a common practice back then, right? Everybody had their own god, and Egypt had a bunch of slaves, when they ask, give me three days to worship my God, go ahead. Three days, no problem. There's even a limestone tablet at that time uh, with, the with the list of the names of the slaves and the reasons for missing work. One of the reasons for missing work back in those days was has sacrificed to the God. So why did so-and-so miss work? Oh, he went three days to sacrifice to his God. So it was, it was feasible. They could have gotten it, but they didn't. So they lowered the expectations, and they still got disappointed. And I think the reason for it is uh, to show us that's just where Pharaoh's heart was back in those days. He didn't care about what your request was. He had so much hatred or anger towards the Israelites, he wasn't going to let them go no matter what. No matter the excuse, right? So Aaron and Moses didn't lose courage. They were trying to not be disappointed. <laughs> That's why they lowered their expectations. Unfortunately, they were still disappointed. Um, and not only did Pharaoh flatly reject their request, he even questioned, who is that God that you're talking about? I don't know that Lord basically questioning the authority of where this request came from. It's like Pharaoh saying, these are my people, and I'll do with them as I please. Right? And that's what he did. Right? Because they asked, Pharaoh went harder or became even more strict, even more hard on the Israelites. And because they lowered their expectations, didn't really get them a lower disappointment rate. It gave them more disappointment. Because what happens next? Which is the third stage or the last stage of disappointment. What's the first stage? Hope is, it all start with A. Hope is awakened. Next stage is what? Request is abolished. A request is stopped. Okay? So from hope is awakened, and then something happens. Something, some, there's some obstacle that happens. A request is abolished. And then the third stage is this. Work is added. They're all A's. Hope is awakened. Request is abolished. Work is added. So that's how you get from 
high hopes to disappointment. Okay? So this next phase is when work is added. The first two stages leading to disappointment affect our emotional or mental state. Right? When you hope for something, it's not real yet. You're just hoping for it. But it's positive. It affects the way your emotions feel. You're happy. Yes, something is coming. The next stage, when uh, you know, the request is abolished, same thing. It's mental. Nothing has happened. They just, the guy just said no. It's mental. But instead of positive, it's now negative. Right? This next stage is not mental anymore. Because when work is added, it will affect you, not just mentally, but physically. All of a sudden, it's real now. Okay? All of a sudden, it's real. And will definitely push us to lose hope. Because not only were our hopes denied in the second stage, the denial is now a reality in the third stage. It's like, it's like being grounded from going to a party and then having to do some house chores on top. Yeah, for teenagers, can I go to a party? No. And you get to clean the washroom. <laughs> right? You get grounded, that doesn't really affect them that much. And then all of a sudden, what? I got to do work on top? It becomes all of a sudden real. Right? Or... It's like being denied a probation. You know probation like in jail, right? The denial after being given hope of probation already hurts. If you're in jail, you're in prison, and you're up for probation, and you go into the probation office, and you go, okay, I've been, you know, I've been clean all these years now. I'm good. I haven't been to any fights. I haven't killed anybody in prison. I've changed. You're up for probation. Good. That means there's hope for you to get out of there, Right? If that is denied, then what happens? You feel sad. You feel disappointed. Right? But when you think about spending the remainder of your sentence in jail, that makes that sadness real all of a sudden. Now it's real. I can't get out of this place forever. I'm staying here until I die. So that third stage drives you from being hopeless to being devastatingly disappointed, right? Because all of a sudden, it's real. That's what happened to the Israelites. Let's read it again. 5-6, starting from 5-6 all the way to 19. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. This is Pharaoh's thinking, right? The only reason why they want to go worship their God is because they don't want to work. That's why they're asking for three days off. So if that's the case, I'm going to give them more work. So instead of making bricks with all the ingredients, straw, sand, mud, water, they got rid of one of the ingredients, straw. 
And I think that's what makes the bricks tough. That's what makes the bricks stable, right? Without straw, the bricks is not going to be as stable as they should be. But instead of supplying straw to the Egyptians, or sorry, to the Israelites, the Egyptian pharaoh said, no, don't give them any more straws. Let them go get the straws themselves. Make their work twice as hard. Right? And Pharaoh said, I want you to produce the same number of bricks. <laughs> I don't know how you guys feel about this, but imagine if you're working at McDonald's and instead of the burgers coming in patties, you got to go kill the cow, you know, <laughs> grunt of beef, do all that. But you can't be late. You have to be a minute when the order comes in. A minute later, the, the burger got to come out. Imagine that. You got to go process the cheese, cut the onions. Makes you work twice, three times as, as hard. There's denial of the request of Moses and Aaron has hit home for the Israelites at this point. Right? Because at, at that point, they were just minding their business, making the bricks. But Mo, since Moses came to Pharaoh with that request, <laughs> their life even got, they got even harder. So now not only were they still slaves after the request, their work just got even harder. So imagine the fall from the end of chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, they had all this hope. Yes, we're going to get out of here. The guy that God sent came in with miracles and the word. He's going to let us out. And they go, good request, after the request. So Moses, what happened? Uh, yeah, by the way, you're going to be making bricks without straws now. <laughs> Imagine the disappointment. If that was you, Imagine the disappointment, right? From hope awakened, expectations were high, to this. Now look at the reaction of the people, um, specifically of Moses and his perception of God. 520. How did the people react? Well, not the people. These are, these are representatives of the people, but they pretty much speak for the people. Number 9, uh, verse uh, 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. They're talking about the foremans. As they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Where earlier they were worshiping and rejoicing, now they're like, Moses, what did you know what have you done, man? We were having, we were just making bricks. Yes, we were slaves, but it wasn't this hard. Now you put a sword in their hand to kill us. You made our lives worse. And look what Moses did. Look what Moses, how Moses reacted. 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord. See all the blaming that's happening here? First, Moses, your fault. Then was like, no, not my fault, God's fault. <laughs> God the one that sent me here. Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since 
I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name. He has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. You even notice how Moses parallels or kind of equates God to Pharaoh? You notice that? He goes at first, God, why, what, 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 what is it? God, why, why have you done evil to this people? And then in the second verse he says, well, Pharaoh has done evil to this people. What? Pharaoh and God are both evil? Meanwhile, earlier, we were just rejoicing. They were just rejoicing. Why have you not delivered your people at all? That's how disappointments affect us. Right? Makes us doubt God and his promises. It even made Moses think that God was behind all this evil being done to the Israelites. And I think that this reaction gives us the answer to our question from the beginning of the message. What was the answer to the question? First of all, what was the question? What kind of hope do you think the Israelites and even Moses had at the point where, at the end of chapter 4, they were rejoicing and they were worshiping? What kind of hope is that? Biblical or worldly? Based on this reaction, I would say worldly. Because they didn't get what they were supposed to get. That meant at the time that they were hoping, they were not really expecting to get what they were supposed to get. Or they put their hopes so much, expectations so high, yes, we're going to get it, we're going to get it, we're going to get it. And all of a sudden, it doesn't happen. They're so disappointed that they start blaming each other. And blaming even God. So I would say that their hope was uncertain at the beginning. They weren't sure. Because if they were, the reaction would have been, it's okay, this is just a roadblock. God will make a way. Wouldn't that be the reaction? Would that be your reaction? If you were waiting for something so much that you needed so much, and then it doesn't happen, would you say, you know what, God, you're a liar. Or would you say, it's okay, God will make a way. Tomorrow, it's another day, God will make a way. Nothing happens, tomorrow is another day, God will make a way. That's a biblical hope, right? But this hope is the, the first sign of trouble. You turn on God. Is that, is that biblical hope? You're that fragile? Your faith is that fragile? That the first time of trouble, you turn on God. I would say that that's an uncertain, unsure hope. Right? You see, that, you see that in kids. Kids nowadays, they're so fragile. They drop their ice cream. Something happens. That, you know, it's not even a life and death situation. Like they're eating vegetables. So disappointed. You give, you know, right? No, you can't go trick-or-treating. Why are we raising our kids that way? <laughs> they're so easily disappointed. They're so fragile. They have no faith whatsoever. 
there's no, it's okay, my parents are good. They'll give me the candy. I don't have to go trick-or-treating. Or my parents are good, the broccoli is good for me, I'll eat it. Or my parents are good, I drop my ice cream, they'll get me another one. No. Kids nowadays, if you don't give what they want, they freak out in disappointments. I'm not talking about just little kids. <laughs> I'm talking to some of the big kids too. 20s and their 30s, 40s. <sighs> Gonna get married soon, but they broke up. <sighs> End of the world. Give me a break. <laughs> but that's how it is, right? They forgot all the good things. Like, like these guys, they forgot that God just gave them hope at the beginning of, at the end of chapter 4. Their memory is so short that the next day when Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and got denied, that same day, all of them are turning against each other. And it's so just like us, right? If you don't get what you want, you freak out. So disappointed. But thank God for his grace. Amen? Because in 6.1, what did God say? Because if I was God and I heard Moses say that, that's it. You're going back to Egypt with those people. You're going to be a slave too. <laughs> right? No, but God, what did God say? But, see that 6-1? But, so despite of whatever you said, despite of blaming me for evil, the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God's still like, no. Now you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because I, I believe that God will sometimes use disappointments in our lives as an opportunity to show his power. To show uh, once again and awaken once again a biblical godly hope in us. Right? Because again, human beings have very short memories. You know? Where, where, where yesterday you have the best day of your life. And then the next day you wake up and, pff, I don't know, there's no milk in the fridge. <laughs> and you really wanted some cereal. <laughs> like, that's it. That, that ruins your whole day. What, what is wrong with us? We went biking yesterday. We um, some of the X-Men. And while I was biking, I was at the last. I was, at, I was always at the last because I couldn't keep up with them. So they were all ahead of me. I was at the end. We were back in Niagara Falls. And while I was, while I was riding, um, I see all these people just taking out their, parking their cars and taking out their picnic baskets uh, with uh, their wines and their cheeses and their sit under a nice tree with, you know, fall colors going on in front of the Niagara River. There's a park there. Um, and having their picnics. And it just dawned on me like, life here is great. <laughs> Where else can you see, you know, you go biking, 
you, 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 you see all these people with all their dogs and just running around and food everywhere. I'm like, when is the kid from Africa going to ever experience anything like this? What are the chances? Zero. Right? But yet, the way we complain as people here, so much. And we're not even complaining about life and death stuff. We're complaining about, I was talking to Philip, because uh, he was with me the whole, most of the time. I'm like, man, we complain about having all this money and not being able to buy another bike <laughs> because there's no stock. That's our problem. I have all this money. I, I want to buy a bike. There's no stock. Uh, so disappointed. What? <laughs> or there's so many items on this menu. I don't know what to pick. I'm so disappointed. How shallow, how sh like in North America, how shallow are we when it comes to these things? Meanwhile, you compare our <laughs> state to the rest of the world, it's like, man, it's like black and white. But we're still these people. Something happens, <laughs> request is abolished, <laughs> work is added. <laughs> Forgot about the hope? You forgot about God's goodness yesterday or just an hour ago? Hmm. But that's who we are. But thank God for his grace that even though we're like that, he uses disappointments in our lives as an opportunity to show his power and once again awaken a biblical godly hope in us. I believe that uh, God also uses disappointments to reveal himself to us even more. Right? I've always think of disappointments as this, and I'm going to close. Disappointments are like the drops on roller coasters. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? You've never been on a roller coaster? The roller coaster always starts off with a drop. Or with a climb, and then you drop. That's where the, the ride starts. I believe the disappointments are like that. Drops on roller coasters. It's always the scariest part of the ride. For people who haven't ridden roller coasters, the drop, that first drop, is the scariest part of the ride. But without it, you will never reach the next peak. You get what I'm saying? It's scary, yeah, but... You're not going to get through the whole roller coaster without that first drop or without any drops. Because it runs on momentum, right? So that's what God's doing in the disappointments, right? It's letting you experience that drop, yeah, it's scary. But if you have faith in Him, if you have biblical hope, that drop is just the path to the next peak. And you get to that next peak, guess what? You drop again. <laughs> Until the roller coaster is done. Until you get off and you go to the cemetery and you stay there forever. <laughs> but that's, not, that's just life. Right? Do you, listen, man. <laughs> Sorry, laughing, but listen. 
who here can guarantee me that tomorrow they won't be disappointed? You don't know when it's coming. That's the point. Right? So what are we going to do? But, but we know that there will be disappointments. So what do you, how do you handle it? What? Every drop you're going to be like, ah, this is the, that's it, end of the world. There's no stock of, you know, toilet paper everywhere. This, that's it. We're, we're going to die. Is that how we handle disappointments as Christians? With a godly biblical hope? No. We handle the drops as God's ways, building momentum to get us back on the peak. Might take a while for some of us, maybe huge drops for some of us, but drop still a drop. You're going to get back up, and at the end, you're going to end up on top. That's what God promised, right? And unfortunately, again, this side of heaven is filled with ups and downs. There are going to be disappointments. We just got to know how to handle it. We'll have our own share of disappointments. But instead of doubting God and questioning his motives, let's continue to be convinced and have hope that God is using our disappointments to get us to the next peak as we continue to grow in faith. Amen? I hope that's what we learn from this, this story um, in Exodus. So the next time you're disappointed, it's a drop. God will use it. I use it as a display of his power and grace. Let's bow down our heads. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Gracious, gracious, gracious.